Hi everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when and what do I do when, so that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode. I am so glad that you are here, and I'm super excited to have with me again today um, Jessica Senarski. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we, it, Jessica and I can chat for hours and days about this stuff. Both of us get really lit up um, when we're talking about sensory integration and the connection between the sensory system, brain, hearts, bodies, behaviors, uh, and connection in families. So today we're going to do a, a deeper dive in some ways that parents can think about those issues and also some helpful resources including the incredible work Jessica's done to put together really awesome hands-on books that help parents and kids understand this sensory stuff to help us out with more 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 success more calming more regulation less blame and guilt so so tell tell my listeners Jessica a little bit about um, your background and what brings you to be in the in the chair chatting with me today around this issue. I would love to. So 
So my, um, my career has all been in the mental health side of um, foster care, adoption, kinship care, early life trauma kinds of things. And um, the, the sensory processing side of it didn't really come on my radar screen. I didn't hear anything about it in graduate school, not a darn thing. Um, it didn't really come on my radar screen until I would say about 10 years ago. Um, and I, I started realizing, you know, I heard from some colleagues and realized some stuff that was going on with some of the kids that I was working with. And hey, there's this sensory processing stuff. There's these senses you've never heard of, you know, like all of this, this stuff where you're like proprioceptive, what? Oh. Like, <laughs> what is happening? And realized at the same time as I was making some OT referrals for um, kids I was working with that one of my kid, my my oldest, um, some of the stuff that we were seeing in him was related to his sensory processing. And so I, I had this sort of dual experience of beginning to integrate work in my therapy practice as I also was um, doing OT with my son uh, and just really implementing all of the stuff that I was learning with him and seeing some pretty dramatic shifts in in his um, in a lot of things but you know as parents we see behavior we see his functioning so the word that was going to come out of my mouth was you know seeing shifts in his functioning but really those shifts in his in his behavior were coming from his body and brain becoming more regulated and communicating, you know, the, the body, the body's signals being interpreted in a different way in the brain and the senses working together and all of those things that make it possible for him to, you know, draw a house in preschool, <laughs> like, you know, these very simple tasks that like his preschool teacher was like, I don't know what's going on with him, but I asked him to draw a house and he burst into tears I'm like, okay, (laughs) that is, what is that? Um, You know, and so the further that I've gone into this, this world of understanding our sensational senses, the more, um, the, the more I see it everywhere. Like once you put on that sensory lens, you can't not see it. And it has been so helpful. And like you said, at the beginning, it really, pulls the shame and blame out of it when a kid is bouncing off the walls that it's not necessarily that they're trying to make your life miserable or that they're they're they have poor social functioning it's that they need they need to bounce um yeah no and that and that's i that mirrors my experience as well as i've said too like i had been doing this work with kids for a long time and i knew there was some sensory stuff that was usually with the kids who are moderate to severely autistic and yes. they had OT supports who were awesome and I could see the value it had there, but I did not know to look for the value that could be added until I needed it in my own home and, and truly found it life-changing in the trajectory yes. of what was happening because not only do our, and for, for clinicians, clinicians who are listening in too, like not only do the, the kids that are struggling behaviorally, you know, quote unquote, or having a hard time following rules or sitting still mm-hmm. or following routines, feel shamed and blamed. When you're a parent yes. and your kid is not able to do things that you believe they should, there's that awful mm-hmm. word should, uh, then 
we also feel like we're failing and that is not when you're hanging out with your closest loved ones with both of you feeling failure and shame it it leads to a lot of um sticky moments and and hurt that can be avoided if we can learn to see things through this lens because and also same now I sort of just talk about it in all kinds of ways and forget that not everybody thinks about these connections between our senses and our bodies and behavior so how do you describe for parents like what this sensory integration stuff is like why do they need to care about this what do they need to know what are the takeaways so i think um to to demystify it a little bit i think about we know that all behavior comes from the brain i'm i'm a nut about the brain not not to be we've talked about this before not to be um you know reductive but because our brain is producing all of our thoughts feelings and actions and so understanding our brain is, I think, really, really helpful in, in functioning, in working with trauma and in all kinds of things. The brain gets its information from inside, outside, and between. So we, we get information from, um, from that interpersonal stuff, but that's all coming in through our senses. So there's the, the five external facing senses that get talked about a lot right? Your touch, smell, taste, you know, the ones that you learn in preschool. But what doesn't get talked about a lot are the internal senses, um, which if you've been listening to Laura's podcast for a while, you probably already know, are that that vestibular sense, that sense of balance or movement in the that's felt in the inner ear, as well as the proprioceptive sense um, and that we get from our muscles and joints that are communicating all the time, all the time, like anytime, just all the time. (laughs) And then the um, interoceptive sense, which there's a little more like debate, is that sort of, is that a a sense sense or, you know, that can, that can get sticky, but without getting caught up in that, um, the interoception is about what you're, what you're sensing from your organs, from your, your skin, from your temperature, from your belly, from, do I have to go pee, right? Like, why was I working with kids who didn't realize at 10 or 11 or 12, didn't realize when they had to go to the bathroom? Well, that's, that's that interoception being a little off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I didn't, it, yes. Thank you. Cause it is, we do think about them as sight, sound, taste, touch, smell, and and yet I think those last three that you mentioned are, it's so important to understand, you know, your sense of your body in space, yes. your, your, how you're, you know, what kind of deep tissue pressure you like to receive, yes. what you yes. need to organize, and then exactly what you're talking about, hunger cues, bathroom cues, um, that, that so many kids who have these question marks over their behaviors, right? So often what the result is for kids who are, who have some disorganization, like the analogy that Mm -hmm. I use too is like the switchboard, right? Like I always say, all these senses are coming in. And when you're, when your sensory system and your nervous system are working well together, then things get sent to the, to the place that they're supposed to. I sort of chuckle too, because by the way, Jessica, we are aging out of people who will know what a what a switchboard is. <laughs> I'm gonna 
going to have to stop using that analogy very soon. You need a new analogy pretty soon. I, I give trainings and I can see people tilt their heads sideways. I'm like, okay, right. Oh, you've never seen I'm this before. Okay. <laughs> so there's a filing and sorting system that happens yes. automatically and sort of unconsciously for those yes. of us who don't have to think about it. But if you're yes. parenting a kiddo um, who has had any number of reasons that their nervous systems and sensory systems aren't smoothly integrating and sending the right signals to the right place at the right intensity, mm-hmm. you can really be left with behavior that is head scratching for parents. It just yes. looks out of place. It looks yes. overly dramatic. It looks under responsive it just doesn't seem to match what's happening in the environment around you and it can also just feel straight up not listening it can feel like not doing what a kid is told uh, and they won't do what they're told rather than recognizing they can't do what they're told so what how do you talk to parents about what they need to know to be able to lead to greater regulation in their house. How can they start to learn about this sensory stuff if they're new to it? It's honestly why I wrote the the book. Um, so my book that's coming out just shortly, probably after you're listening to this in September, is called Riley the Braves Sensational Senses. And I don't... I. I don't think this stuff gets talked about a lot. I don't think it's in sort of the the general knowledge. Um, And so I wanted to write something that was really kid friendly where there's visuals and, you know, it's something that kids can sort of um, imagine themselves in this world and as well as help demystify some of the things for parents that um, I remember as I was first being introduced to this world where, you know, the OT is saying, I know it sounds crazy, but him jumping on the trampoline and getting squished and, you know, crashing into a pad and chewing gum will help him have better handwriting. Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, there are a number of times I talk about my famous biking shorts incident where I had a kid who wouldn't go into the shower and he and they yes. he put on biking shorts and I was like in 15 years of practicing child psychology I would never have recommended to a parent that they put their kid in biking shorts we would have been talking about making it calming and behavioral reinforcers right. and meanwhile right. that stopped crazy tug of wars I mean it I this again exactly I was like come on and then when you right. then when you try some of these things suddenly so not, yeah, go ahead not that chewing gum can fix everything it will not But when my son started chewing gum, because he was four at the time, so we hadn't introduced it yet, they're like, try this, get an electric toothbrush. Like he was, he was seeking sensation and him starting chewing gum. We had two weeks meltdown free. I think the first two weeks of his life ever that had been meltdown free. Like, you're like, what? Like, how does A plus B equal a bushel of oranges? Like, I don't understand what is happening here. Yes. Um, and so I think, so So really, truly, my hope with this book is to help um, demystify it a little bit in a really simple way that parents and kids and teachers and, you know, everybody around the life of a child can make sense of no pun intended, because we know these things make such a big difference. And so there's this push now a little bit for like, 
you know, sensory rooms or calming corners. And I think, you know, yay, I'm, I'm glad there's a little bit more awareness, but the senses are also, sensory development is so intimately linked to attachment um, and the, the brain building of attachment that sending a kid to calm down by themselves isn't often um, doesn't necessarily meet the need of the brain building that we're trying to do. Um, one of the things that has stood out to me with learning about the senses is how much, just like our brains in general, how much they try to keep us safe. So our, um, you know, our sense of touch is going to be sensitive to that hot, you know, hot surface and we pull away that that pain signal when we touch a stove or something that's hot to pull away is trying to protect us from injuring ourselves, you know, covering our ears with loud noises. We're trying to protect ourselves from injury. Um, and so when our senses are either seeking more or avoiding what's sort of naturally in our, in our environment, just like you said, it can look like defiance because this kid is not, you know, with, with one of my other boys who struggles with sensory stuff, he would have a panic response that looks like defiance about food, um, mm. you know, really sensitive to food. And so what we've started to incorporate is, um, you know, I, I talk a lot about the brain. And so he knows that he knows about his amygdala. And we talk about his amygdala saying, danger, 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 like new flavor, ah, danger, ah, you know, and he wants to run out of the room. And so we sort of talk to his amygdala and we do playful things and we get some of the other senses involved. Like if he's listening to a podcast that interests him, it's easier to try a food that he maybe hadn't wanted to try before. Um, and so these are those things that you're like, what? Like, how is that possible? But it's, but the more that we understand that our senses are all trying to work together and really trying to keep us safe, um, the better that we can navigate these sort of everyday experiences um, with, with less shame and blame and power struggles. Yeah. I mean, sign me up for that. Right? <laughs> Because, yeah, this parenting stuff is so, so humbling. And, and you know, and for clinicians who are listening into, I just, I really can't say enough about how we didn't get enough of this in school. And Absolutely. that it really changed my practice when I started thinking about kids in, through sensory lenses and knew how to talk to parents and do, you know, assessments. I mean, short of having the OT move into our house for right. A while. Oh my gosh! I mean, literally, it was one of those things where I was like, "How does she know to even predict?" What mm -hmm. you know, the people have explained to me when they're coming in for other behavioral things, they are amazed that I know what to ask. I was sitting there thinking, "Is she in the living room sometimes?" Because mm -hmm. there, and I say that to say. When you understand the sensory piece, you start to understand the, the fingers connected to the palm. So it, it right. does start to make sense why gum chewing and bicycle shorts help yes. Um, yes. with regulation and showers once you have understood the connection between when yes. your body is overloaded or your your what should be a protective mechanism yes. is telling you that there's danger when there's not. Um, mm -hmm. how can you 
recognize that, right? For me, there's two key steps. I don't know if this resonates with you. You're recognizing that that's what's happening so that you aren't doing the personalizing. You're not thinking your kid's just trying to ruin your day or slow down things, right? Like they're not intentionally, you know, trying to make you late for work or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That, and then the second thing is, okay, so now what? So why, and I love your, your Riley series about different things because there's it's so hard to find um, g- kid-friendly stories about um, how their bodies and brains and hearts work. So yeah. what is it, what did you try to accomplish with Riley? Like what, sure. what is the, why Riley? What's helpful about delivering <laughs> it that way? <laughs> so um, Riley, this is the third book in the Riley the Brave series. And what I found was all of these miscommunications happening, that kids were doing their best to survive the best that their little brains and bodies knew how and parents were trying their best to connect with kids the best that they knew how and teachers and counselors and um and and we just kept having this misfire where where they're not connecting and those messages aren't getting through and so the first book in the series i i really tried to put in a very kid-friendly you know non-shaming way our how our how our brains and bodies sort of take over with, you know, porcupine powers or um, having big turtle being brave like a turtle and curling up in your shell or brave like a tiger and swiping at others when things feel scary. But I did it in a way, you know, I, it's very funny to me that I'm a therapist who writes therapeutic books because I really don't enjoy most therapeutic books and find that that kids don't either and so I was really committed to writing a book you know in all of my books writing them in ways that kids will want to read and reread so that this this story becomes part of their story that yes there are some things I feel mixed up about or different or and I'm very brave I was brave in some ways that you know, kept me alive and I'm learning new ways to be brave. Now I get to be brave in these ways of connecting because that's super courageous if you've learned that grownups are scary. Um, so that's sort of the entry into the series where it's this little bear being parented by two elephants and um, and the, the um, so the second book in the series is Riley the Brave Makes It to School, sort of digging into some of those um, tricky behaviors we see often in times of transition and you know when uh, when things are required of our children you know like all of the time (laughs) um and so this is the third in the series and it was important to me to get something out that incorporated the senses um but to be really intentional about what it was so it none of my books are going to replace therapy you know find a good source but what i what i want to help is to start getting parents and teachers and counselors thinking from this sort of brain-based perspective, getting, um, you know, getting the senses in mind. And so in the story, we see that, you know, Riley just wants to go and have fun at the fair, but how's he going to do that when even just making it to school on the school bus feels overwhelming and making it really visual of what that sock feels like on his foot and what his friends' voices feel like in his ears. And that as all of these things are happening, you know, he without I don't say it like this in the book, in the story, but basically that that downstairs brain takes over and he begins, you know, he might go into a tiger moment or a turtle moment. Um, 
But instead of getting punitive about that, his teacher says, hey, I think he'd benefit from some help. Um, I forget now how I even say it in the story. but. Um, <laughs> And, and so we see this process of Riley um, learning about his senses and seeing that there's this, there's this sort of positive side where we can enjoy life fully and smell the flowers and, and see the sunshine and all of these things that our senses can do for us. But that when our senses feel out of whack, I um, worked with my illustrator to create a visual of those senses in distress. You know, the, the sense of hearing is this rabbit with the long ears and music notes. But when that sense is, is out of sorts, it's the rabbit sort of twisting his ears. And, you know, you can feel that um, overwhelm. And so so what the, the she's not called an occupational therapist in the story, but there's a cat who is Miss um, <laughs> Lena. And she she's explaining it in a very simple user-friendly way of you know when your sense of, when all of these mixed up sensations are coming in you know no wonder you had a tiger moment and roared at your teacher that makes sense and you know what if we get to know our senses and so we see through the story that he begins to you know do the work that's required to kind of get to know your senses a little bit and he makes a sensational plan for feeling safe and in control um, what we would call a sensory diet. Uh, and so we see, again, a visual of his sort of map of the day and how that's going to go to get him ready to go to the fair. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had a couple kids read it already because there were some things going on where I was like, you need this book. I think this is part of what's going on. And the response has been, oh my gosh, yes. Like, that's what's happening. It feels like that wait, can I learn about this part too? Like I had one, there was a, a nine-year-old that his mom reached out to me and was like, um, he made me read it all the way through the afterward. Like we're now talking about proprioception. They started doing some OT and it has turned things around for him. And, and I think that's huge because I would agree with you. Like a lot, I remember earlier in my, I, would, I went through bursts of buying books and they were one and dones. They, it just, I was just like, oh, that was too telltale or it was too, I don't know, like, here's the solution to this problem yes. you just had. And I thought, ah, oh, it's well intended. And, and yet, so, so the idea is that you're using these animals and this imagery to get kids into the characters yes. to, and then to be able to identify and apply this process of getting to know their senses and their sensory experiences and and yeah. then also what they can what they can do so right so the premise is once they recognize that their sensory system is protecting them when it does when they don't right. need protection or or right. distorting right. you know whatever is happening around them a little overzealous or a little underzealous, right? Like <laughs> yes. there's a little little miscommunication happening between there. <laughs> How does that help parents? So you can read a story and you can get kids to understand that their senses may be doing things that aren't really mm -hmm. in line with what's needed. How mm -hmm. do you then turn that into what you do with parents? Like why? Yeah. So if like, once people understand that it's sensory, that there's a sensory need. Yeah. Yeah. Then what? So great question. Um, and I wish there was a clear, like, do these three things. 
Um, but, but we know more and more that every brain is different, every body is different. And so one of the most beautiful gifts that we can um, give our children or nurture in our kids is helping them gain insight into their inner workings, helping them understand how their brains and bodies work, because they're going to be in charge of it at some point. Like right now, especially if you're parenting young kids, it feels like you're in charge of it. You're not really, but it feels like it. <laughs> we kid ourselves for a while, but at some point it's very clear. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's all an illusion. <laughs> Um, so we want to help kids get to know like, oh, I felt a little out of whack when I, what, when I didn't have a, a, you know, a break jumping on the trampoline or, um, you know, one of my boys now has realized he needs to pack a weighted blanket when we travel somewhere because he just doesn't feel very good. He feels out of sorts if he goes very many days without using, sleeping with a weighted blanket. Um, you know, he would, he, this is the same kiddo who would sometimes say like in periods of stress, mom, will you squish my head? And I would say, sure, because I had had some experience in this as opposed to no, you weirdo, like, why, why do you want me to squish your head? <laughs> yes. Okay. So I would say that the first part is just, um, sort of exposing kids to this language and this understanding and and ourselves recognizing some of our own sensory needs. I've had other folks who've read through the book um, and were like, yeah, this was totally happening for me as a kid and I didn't realize it. Yeah. And and so there, there's that self-awareness and, and putting on the sensory lens that's a piece of the puzzle. Another piece of the puzzle is um, having so all of my books have an afterword for grown-ups that has some user-friendly brain science and so in this one there are some um, a little bit more information about the senses and what to do with this information as well as um, some maybe sort of warning signs or or you know red flags for if your kiddo might be struggling with their sensory system there are some things in there you know some easy things to implement in school so this becomes a tool that you can use in your IEP meetings and um, you know to inform some of the work that you're doing to help wrap around your your kiddo um, and then places to learn more because this one picture book obviously isn't the end all be all. So there are some resources in the back for digging deeper, whether that be, you know, seeking occupational therapy for sensory integration or, you know, just places to read more, which was, you know, part, both of those things were part of my journey with my son. Um, and, you know, yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's great. So the tangible, cause I think, the the application so having ways to mm -hmm. talk in a concrete mm -hmm. organized way because then you can use those metaphors that you've introduced to your kids in the books right they, yeah you, there will be no shortage of times to talk about a tiger swiping moment or a turtle moment and it just right. i honestly when folks ask me we're you know 20 years with the littles with the like three to 12 year olds and so much of my work was trying to create meaningful metaphors around this yeah. stuff. Like, yeah. cause kids yeah. aren't going to sit and listen to you talk to them about brain science. They... About proprioception. Like no one wants that. <laughs> no. no, thank you. <laughs> and so 
there's so much like generalizability as we say there's so many sure. situations that you can teach kids that it looks like they're having a turtle moment and what yeah. do they need you to know and 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 your own behavior like wow mama just had a yeah. tiger moment didn't she yeah. like they're great yeah. ways to look at common animals kids you know can usually relate to some characteristics around uh, animals and then they they it sort of feels like tools in their toolkit to ways to talk about their experience while their brain continues to develop to to give them more language for their experience yes. as they get older so That's one of exactly the things that comes up a lot with the littles is they just they don't know how to tell us what their mm -hmm. experience is they just know something's uncomfortable and they're mm -hmm. trying to either move toward the thing they think will calm them down, even though it's counterintuitive to us, or they're trying to move away from whatever this thing is that that is uh, agitating. If I can add it, yeah. add on to that, so from a, a really practical standpoint, you know, part of the power of giving kids language around this stuff or helping them tune in is is moments like you know one of my boys. Um, he was playing around, playing make-believe something, and he had stuck a little piece of foam, like a long piece of foam sticking out the back of his pants like a tail. Um, and he was playing, and then he went to work on something. I can't even remember what. I think it might have just been Legos, which he loves. But he was doing it for a minute, and then he turned around and yanked the thing out of his pants and was like, ah, now I can concentrate. Like the the sensation of that little piece of foam on the back of his, um, on, on his back, was all consuming, right? It was this big sensory feeling, even though it was this little piece of foam. And so if that had been a tag in the back of his shirt in class, it might look like he's being defiant or he's not doing his worksheet or he's, you know, whatever the thing is, when really his, his sense of touch is saying, danger, 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 you know, foam alert. <laughs> Yeah, like there's rigidity. It can look like kids are super rigid. Yes. That is a big one that comes up where they're having an aversion to say, I will not do this thing. And you're like, what? Mm -hmm. It's the noise in the, of the toilet mm -hmm. in the public bathroom. It's mm -hmm. the um, need for visual order, I think, yep. is a big one where yep. I've mentioned in other, but one. my son used to say, like, it looks too loud in here. And I'm like, looks yes. too loud? What? Yeah. And and he's a very visual processor, right? And we all, I think there's some normalization to this too. Like, I'm more of an auditory processor, right? so I don't even yeah. notice many visual details yeah. around things. The longer I live, the more I want to get out of anything that is fitting tightly. <laughs> Yes, I'm like yes. trying to get into my silken jammies at whatever five o'clock if I can. And then, you, you know, you just notice things about when you are in a place of greatest ease, what is happening around you in terms of taste, touch, smell, your body, mm -hmm. your, mm -hmm. you know, your positioning. And so also as parents recognizing what your sensory triggers are, mm -hmm. because if you are like me, a very auditorily sensitive person, your child raising a voice or making noise can be can feel like volcanic to you yes. as well. And so what I encourage parents to do um, is sort of like it's a nice the I mean I can't wait for this to come out because it really it's the, a nice intro and then where I hang out a lot too, once kids have the language, is then together as a pair or however mm -hmm. many of you there are, uh, mm -hmm. that you are 
then taking what you know and being able to look ahead. Okay, hey kiddo, yes. you have this big transition. Like we've got this yes. chorus, you know, we got your Christmas concert tonight. It's gonna yep. be loud in there. What does your body need so that you know, right? Like, yep. okay, you know, and, and I also think too, sometimes it's counterintuitive and you have to know your kid because there's every kid's mm-hmm. sensory system needs different things to be calming. But I remember thinking and then counseling parents through thinking like can't let him jump on a trampoline before he goes to the chorus night you know he'll be totally hyper I'm like no actually it's interesting some kids that's not the answer they don't need the input but getting to learn what calms your kid and gets them to get rid of the wiggles and it's more than that I mean it isn't even just getting extra energy out I hear parents kind of talk about that Mm -hmm. it's really an organizing yes calming regulating I mean there's regulating is the word that I'm looking for so so being able to do preventative things yes once you learn what your child's sensory system needs to soothe you can use those proactively like before you get out of the car in the morning do whatever some leg squeezes or that's right ride under a weighted blanket to school or have one in the car when they get back in like there's so many cool ways that you can weave in behaviorally what you're learning about your child's sensory system the better and better they are with communicating about it once they have this language to let you know what's happening. I think that's spot on. And, um, and we find, you know, learning, learning your child's sensory system is so powerful. So that's one of my hopes with this book as well is just normalizing that we have different sensory needs. And so I've had lots of conversations over the years with families where, you know, a kiddo might be really, um, like sensory seeking in lots of areas, including getting right up on mom and, you know, lots of like seeking that physical touch and proprioception and even, you know, wanting to be rocked and held and all of those things that that a parent might feel is um, immature or like they, sh- they should be beyond that. Um, and and rec- helping parents to recognize like, oh, I'm a little sensory avoidant in these ways. And so we're going to figure out together how this can work for both of us where, you know, can I roll you up in a yoga mat um, and be silly with you a little bit? And will that meet the need in a way that doesn't violate my senses? Um, I think that's all an important piece of the puzzle. And, you know, ha- making it safe to have these conversations. Um, so one of the things I'm doing with the book is there's a sensory, there's a resource bundle that if you order before the release date, so before September 21st, you'll get some additional resources for free. So some ways to talk about sensory stuff, some um, things, some activities to do with your kids as you're exploring your senses, um, just stuff to make it really tangible because that's my hope um, that, that this be very, um, that it make your life easier and your kid's life easier. No one wants to feel upset all the time. You, your kiddo, like that's not the goal. And and so the more that we understand about our brains and bodies, the easier it becomes to to be part of a team, to work together, to to know. I loved what you said about discovering 
you know, what kinds of things are happening when you feel at ease? Like what's your sensory environment when you feel your best? That's really important to, to look into, you know, it's not just when we're dysregulated, but what makes our little bunny ears, you know, stand up <laughs> tall with our sense of hearing as opposed to wanting to twist them up and, and cringe away. That's all. It's just, it just makes life rich. It doesn't mean you're weak if you have a sensory system that needs more or less. Right. It's just how you're wired and, you know, okay, let's, yeah. let's work with that. Yes. And, and I think it's really, um, really one of the things I love about the sensory stuff is that there's also right there's nobody nobody did this nobody created it it's nothing that you have to feel guilty about needing or having it's just just human diversity biodiversity any way you want to look at it sometimes there are specific events or stressors or the absence of attachment and sometimes it's just kids have these differential needs and and right. it's one of the areas that you could you have stuff you can do because this is as a parent right most many of us are like okay something's a little what can i do like what do i actually do <clears throat> and so <throat> in this case you educate yourself you read some books you give your kid a shared language so you are a team together yeah. learning about their turtle parts and their you know yeah. tiger parts that we all have yeah. and and so the you become a team together to help with the regulation of this thing rather than you standing over your child saying get yourself together or don't scream right. in the house how many times do i have to tell you don't scream in the house um and and we all have those days i i, I don't know there's no judgment of parents like i mean even with my doctorate and lots of shared language mm-hmm. there are definitely days mm-hmm. i'm like if you scream in the house again like like there definitely are still these days for sure but it increases the odds that we'll be able instead to team up with what we're noticing is difficult, what is out of sorts or dysregulated, and then be able to know what is soothing, move toward it, get your kid the input their body needs so that their upstairs brain can come back mm-hmm. online, right? right? So that they can That's think, right. reason, anticipate, plan, um, the, all of those things that they cannot do as long as they're either completely distracted by sensory input right. or in panic, fight or flight, danger, danger, danger right. mode. Um, so, so the hope for parents as we kind of wind down is that, that yeah, that you'll keep looking in this direction. I, a lot of people say to me they heard a little bit about it and then get busy with work and life where they're sure. still, and I And this is... I have a presentation that I do where I have a little picture of a human buried under wadded up papers and that would have been the visual of my experience with early childhood behavioral plans. Oh my gosh. So, and now I'm a child psychologist and guess what I do and did for a lot of years was sit on teams Mm -hmm. coming up with behavioral plans. And I wish I knew then what I knew now about what what is getting in the way of kids being able to have success with those plans. So here's a little nudge toward putting, uh, here's an invitation, and I'm sure you would join me in this, Jessica, to have parents put whatever time and energy they're putting into stickers and star charts and smiley faces and uh, things and spin that toward taking a look at developing your kid's language around sensory stuff, you understanding more about how mm-hmm. that 
can be a layer of what is going on for your child and put energy toward working with them to learn to regulate so that they um, they are available for the teaching that that would happen through a behavior plan if they could work for your kid, right? Like behavior learns ideally you're supposed to do the teaching, but but you can't do that teaching if your kid's um, upstairs brain isn't online. You can't. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> That's exactly right. Right. If we're trying to if we're trying to connect with reason and reason is not available then we need a new plan. We can't consequence that reason into existence. Um, yes. It's just not It's just not possible. Yes, and as a person, again, I, I had runways of different colors. I had rocket ships with stars. I had, I mean, I was pulling out all the stops. And then, yeah, both my kid and I felt like we were giant losers in the world of like, yeah. you know, like this isn't where he wants to do well. Like what? And so, the time and energy, if you're putting into that kind of stuff, we're trying to figure out the magical consequence that's going to make behaviors go away forever. Pause. Take a left-hand turn toward this right thing. <laughs> yes, yes. And and what you're talking about is exactly what I would see in family and family after family of like, he's trying his best and you're trying your best and you're both feeling like failures and that just breaks my heart um and so that's really what i'm hoping to interrupt with my with with the the books and resources that i create is let's tell a new story you know you're both doing the the best that you know how and here's a lens that will help that shift here's just a little a little shift that will set you on a different path together Nice. Um, and yeah, that's, oh, that's beautiful. I'm so grateful for your work. I can't wait to have it to, to refer to folks and just in general, the Riley series for parents out there is, is an awesome way again, to, to, to put pictures and meanings and to team up with your kids toward behaviors and all, all kinds of different ways that are really establish a cool shared language, which helps yeah. you team together and find, um, regulation and soothing and calm and and all that good stuff so thank you jessica for being willing to to come on and um chat with my folks and i look forward we'll be back we'll be doing this again in some way or another together all right thank you thank you so much All right. Well, thanks for listening today. Just a quick note here at the end to say I am so glad you joined and I hope you are too. And if you'd like to connect with me more, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.